as expected, Joe Biden gave an epically bad State of the Union address. But that's par for the course. I'll talk about it on this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. When you get to tomorrow's episode, I said it was Monday, and that's because I forgot about the State of the Union Address. So uh, we moved that one to Tuesday, and this is now Monday's episode. So welcome to the show for the week. Again, excited to be back on. If you want to support the show financially, go to McClanahanAcademy.com, McClanahanAcademy.com. You can enroll free of charge, get your free class, 10 Myths of American History, then purchase classes like you could purchase a class on the American presidents, which... I'm going to talk about today, you wouldn't be duped by the stupidity that came out of Washington, D.C. last night if you had purchased that class and completed that course. It's uh, it's your one-stop shop for understanding the real intentions of the American presidency and how all of these people have distorted that original intent. So it's a great class, but it's just one of many. I've got over 20 available for purchase there. You want to pick those up. It keeps this podcast free of charge. It gets you great content. It's a win-win. Also, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Let people know you like it. Give it that five-star review. Leave a text review wherever you can. Also, comment on YouTube for the algorithm. All those things help support the show. And again, send me those show requests and share this podcast around on social media. All right, well, let's talk about the State of the Union. Full disclosure, I didn't watch it because it was going to be really stupid. I did watch the clips. And of course, Joe Biden bumbles and stumbles and fumbles through the entire thing. You would have expected that. Biden has gotten to the point in his life where he really can't make a public speech without making, you know, at least a dozen or more gaffes. And of course, all of this stuff is absolutely hilarious. It's also very sad. We're looking at a man who probably has dementia, um, who has completely lost most of his mental capacity If you listen to Joe Biden clips from, say, even 20 years ago compared to Joe Biden now, there is a dramatic difference in the two. And so we basically have an empty suit, a figurehead. Joe Biden didn't write this speech. He supposedly practiced it many, many times. And I'll tell you, this is all theater. And you know why? Because the Democrats would clap at opportune times because they knew what was in it. They knew when to clap, when to stand, when to clap, when to cheer. It was all there. Uh, it's kind of like you know a Catholic mass. You know when to stand up, when to kneel, when to say what prayers. And so this is the th- same thing that was happening with the Biden speech. This is all choreographed. It's obvious that's what's happening now in Washington, D.C. Biden is not running the show. He's got handlers running the show. Who I don't know who's running the show. It could be Kamala Harris. It makes more sense to me as days go on that Kamala Harris really is the driving intellectual force behind this administration. And of course, she is one of the most idiotic people that's ever served as vice president of the United States. Uh, I don't think that uh, the if she ever does run for president, it's going to be a great situation for the Democrats. Even when she was running in the Democrat primary, she had 0% support. I mean, zero, literally zero. She couldn't even get anybody to support her. And yet, because of affirmative action, essentially, because of the agenda of the left, she's put on the ticket to appeal to voters who would vote based on race or gender. This is exactly why it happened. And the Biden administration, of course, 
is legendary for this. They put people that are probably not qualified to be doing what they're doing in positions because they want to push a social agenda. It's not saying the Republicans don't do this either. They do. Um, but, I mean, this happens all the time now in positions across the United States. And it's not saying that, you know, there aren't people that would be qualified, uh, but by selecting people simply based on race, class, gender, whatever it is, we're getting to be, we're, we're missing what the founding generation wanted with the natural aristocracy. We want the best people in positions, no matter who they are. We want those people to be there. And, of course, the Biden administration doesn't do that. And Joe Biden's even an example of that. I mean, again... The Democrats wanted somebody, they thought they could win the 2020 election because of uh, the irregularities that they could pull off, and they did, and so Biden was the man to do it. He didn't even campaign. I mean, this is, again, this is the future of American politics. You don't have to actually go out and campaign anymore. You let your social media presence, you let your, your foot soldiers go out who can go around and knock on doors and ballot harvest. This is all you have to do now. Uh, it's about simply getting people uh, and, and taking their ballot and putting it in the ballot box for yourself. We know when this doesn't happen, the Democrats struggle to win. Also, when the Republicans run good candidates. And we saw, of course, again, in the last election cycle in 2022, when Republicans run bad candidates, they lose. I mean, it's simple as that. They have to run good candidates. But uh, the Democrats don't have to run good candidates and they can still win. Because Democrats are uh, much better at people ticking than the Republicans are. All right, so let's talk about this speech. And let me let me set this up. I don't want to go through all the speech because it would take me probably three or four episodes to do that. And no one wants to sit through Joe Biden's speech live. And they certainly don't want to sit through me going through it and reading it on a podcast. It's that bad. I mean, it really is that bad. First of all, it's written for about a fifth grader. I think if you had to put this on a reading level, it would be about a fifth grader, fifth grade reading level, uh, which is even worse than speeches have become over the years. In fact, the eighth grade reading level was about where uh, the speeches were aimed. And I don't, I mean, it could be maybe sixth grade for this, but it's, I think it's even worse than eighth grade reading level now, though who even knows what eighth grade reading level is anymore. Uh, we've, we've gotten to a point where uh, we, I, we get, people as adults who are functionally illiterate because they don't read anything. So it's really, really bad. And it's full of hyperbole and platitudes and slogans and lies and uh, you know, anything you can think of. In other words, it's a full reflection of the United States central government. If you want to show an example, show me what the United States government is by a speech, this is it. And I'm going to point out a couple of things in the speech that I think are a clear example of that. Now, let me say this about the event itself. Again, all political theater. That's all we had here was political theater. And the fascinating thing for me was that this was the first time, I think, in all of the State of the Union addresses that I've seen, and all the State of the Union addresses, of course, that I've read about, where you really had Wilson's vision fully explored. What is that? Well, when the State of Union Address was first delivered, Washington and Adams actually delivered it in person. They went down to the Congress and they delivered the State of the Union Address. Jefferson thought that smacked too much of monarchy and so he submitted a written message. And so Jefferson, going back to the original intent, I mean, look, Washington and Adams 
I would take either one of those people as president now every single day of the week. I'd even take Alexander Hamilton over the nonsense we have in D.C. now. But um, Washington, I, I love George Washington. Let me say this. I love George Washington. Washington made mistakes as president. That was one of them. Actually going to the Congress and delivering the State of the Union address because it did smack of monarchy. It's like the president uh, was acting you know, like George III and requiring Congress to have his attention in going to the Congress to issue the State of the Union address. Adams, of course, followed suit. But then Jefferson said, look, the original intent was we're not going to have a monarchy. We're not going to have an aristocracy. We're not going to do that. I'm going to submit the message to Congress. They can read it if they want. If they don't want, they don't have to. I've done my constitutional duty to make recommendations to let the Congress know or the United States know the state of the country on a regular basis. I've done that. I've fulfilled my duty. And so that very Republican stamp on the presidency was applied all the way up to the Woodrow Wilson administration. So you're talking about over 100 years. Jefferson in 1801, or I guess 1802 is his first day of the Union Address, issues this in a written form, and then Congress reads it. So from 1802 until 1913, we had, or 1914, I should say, 112 years, we had a written State of the Union Address. That all changed with Woodrow Wilson. Woodrow Wilson was a political scientist by training. He had written a book on the Constitution, on government. And Wilson thought, Wilson thought the Congress and the presidency should be more in lockstep. Now, what's interesting about that is Wilson, as a younger man, had actually been a Cleveland Democrat, meaning he believed in uh, a much more limited central government, you know, sound money, a very Jeffersonian position. But after he be received his PhD and then was uh, president of Princeton, of course, governor of New Jersey, Wilson became much more interested in the progressive movement and nationalization of power. And one of the things he thought an improvement, an innovation, would be for the president to go down to the Congress for the State of the Union and act like a prime minister. Now, if you've ever watched the legislative debates in Great Britain when the Parliament meets, you see that the Speaker of the House of Commons is there in person weekly to talk about the State of the Union. I mean, this is what he does, or he or she. This is what they do. And so the members of Parliament have a chance to grill this person, to ask questions, to make noise, and it's a lot of fun to watch this. That State of the Union address was the first time I could say that that was just like in some ways, a session of Parliament. Because for the first time, the Republicans, or the opposition, the Democrats have not really done this as much, but the opposition actually made some noise when Joe Biden said ridiculously stupid things. Now, they could have done it the entire speech. They didn't, but they did laugh at him. They laughed at him a couple of times, and you could visibly see it and hear it in the clips. They called him out. They called him a liar. They made a lot of noise. Oh, they, do, they did just what the opposition typically does when the prime minister in Great Britain goes to the parliament, goes to the house, and says, "Here's my. this is what's going on, and they make all this noise. It was more like a session of parliament than uh, what we've seen at any time in American history when we get to uh, 
the State of the Union. I mean, it really was. So I think in that way, Wilson's dream of a parliamentarian system was fully realized here in 2023. We finally have it. And if you look at this speech, it's full of legislative agenda. Now again, if you go back to the founding generation, the executive branch was not supposed to do anything that was legislative or judicial in nature. This is something this, this kind of phrasing was used. Now that doesn't appear in the Constitution itself, but these kind of terms were thrown around, of course, in Philadelphia and also during the ratification process. If you look at Thomas Jefferson's original draft of a Virginia Constitution, that is there, you know, not anything legislative or judicial in nature. Because they didn't want the president to be chief legislator. They didn't want a legislator in chief. Now, they understood the president would have a role in the legislative process because the president does have a veto power. That's there. And this is where Biden openly talked about it. If you send me any legislation, that's, I'll veto it when he does all that. You know, it was hilarious. That's when you knew everything was scripted. There was one particular line, and he was trying to say prescription drugs. But he said, if the Congress sends me anything uh, with the drugs, I'll veto it. And of course, Kamala Harris immediately stands up and claps because she knew what the line was supposed to be. And that was her appointed time to stand up and clap. And the Democrats then would follow suit. This was all political theater. It's embarrassing, really, when you think about it. It's embarrassing. Our entire system now is an embarrassment. The people in the Congress are an embarrassment. The president's an embarrassment. The entire system's an embarrassment. I, I, I can't think of uh, any other way to describe it. But um, So he makes these legislative promises. I'll veto this. I'll do that. This is what we need to do. We're going you know, to do this or do that. He was acting like the prime minister. This was the clearest example yet. And the way everything was scripted and the way the Republicans reacted that we've gone to a parliamentarian system, essentially. Now, the president still has some of these executive powers. If we're going to be in a parliamentary system, parliamentarian system, then we should just ditch the president's veto power. I mean, if we're going to act like a parliament, then actually ditch that. You know, don't have that anymore. Uh, because then you take away that hammer. If the president's really going to be a member of the legislative branch, then take it away. You see, the president having that veto was supposed to be there to protect against unconstitutional legislation. Now, I'm actually going to read a line where Biden says the right thing in terms of the Constitution. But he's doing it not because of that. and He doesn't explain it that way. He's doing it because of partisan politics. Okay, And so let me go through some of the speech. Now, I will also say this before I do that. Sarah Huckabee Sanders' response was interesting. A lot of people are saying that was setting her up for a presidential run at some point in the future, you know, maybe the, not the next election cycle, but maybe the one after that. Who knows? Uh, the speech had some pretty good zingers in it, good few good one-liners, but in terms of delivery, it was really bad. Uh, I mean, we're, we're grasping for anything if you're, you're looking for an opposition that somehow Sarah Huckabee Sanders' speech was good. It wasn't very good at all. Again, some good one-liners, and a good speechwriter can do that for you, but her delivery was awful. Uh, I mean, it was it was awful, to say the least. So uh, the Republicans have to get better people, without question, uh, if they're going to make any headway in getting rid of this uh, you know, 
this tidal wave that appears to be moving against them. They've got to do better with candidate selection. They've got to do better with people to uh, to deliver some of these uh, canned speeches that have, again, again, great zingers, great one-liners, but they have to be better. And, of course, the Democrats know who their audience is, and so their canned speeches, which are written for a fifth or sixth grader, are always going to be bad, too. So let me get into the speech uh, because it was, or parts of it, because it was just uh, ridiculously bad. Um, so he says, Congress, I skip, first of all, he mentions the insurrection at the beginning of the speech, which was hilarious, right? So we had this insurrection. This is the first time, you know, our democracy was threatened one year ago, almost one year ago today, or two years ago today, our democracy was threatened, our greatest threat to democracy since the Civil War. This is, again, it's full of hyperbole. I mean, that wasn't, that's not true. It's just so stupid. But, of course, the Democrats eat this stuff up, and it creates slogans and chants and platitudes. It's things they can just regurgitate, you know. Finish the job was something he said over and over again in the speech. Finish the job. This is, you know, Hakeem Jeffries standing up and doing the ABCs and, uh, you know, attaching some type of descriptive word, some adjective to all these letters that would define the Democrats and the Republicans. It's all just stupid. It's elementary school. That's, again, where these people are. They're all in a state of arrested development. I really think Congress is that way for the most part, particularly on the left. These people are in a state of arrested development, and it's, and it's, it's perpetuated because of social media, where you have people in a state of arrested development, 100%. So he says, Congress must restore the right the Supreme Court took away last year and codify Roe v. Wade to protect every woman's constitutional right to choose. Congress must restore the right the Supreme Court took away. First of all, the Supreme Court didn't take away any right. I mean, but look at the language here. This is a, this is again, a lie. It's a half-truth, uh, which is a half-lie. Uh, the Supreme Court did uh, overturn Roe v. Wade, but they didn't take away any rights. There was no constitutional right to choose. Uh, that wasn't a constitutional thing at all. In fact, even lefties argued that the Supreme Court did a very bad job in Roe v. Wade of pointing out the legal justification for what they were doing. It was, it was a mess of a decision, and there was no uh, right, there was no constitutional right that was taken away. He says, the vice president and I are doing everything we can to protect access to reproductive health care and safeguard patient privacy. What does that have to do with the topic? It's not patient privacy or reproductive health care. It's not health care that we're talking about here. It's not patient privacy privacy either. But already more than a dozen states are enforcing extreme abortion. Well, that's because extreme abortion bans. That's because the states are constitutionally allowed to do this. It's called federalism. And there's nothing in the Constitution that allows the general government to legislate one way or the other on this issue. And all the Supreme Court did was simply reaffirm that. They handed this issue back to the states where it belongs to begin with. They didn't take away any constitutional right, and there was no right there. Make no mistake, if Congress passes a national abortion ban, I will veto it. Now, Biden actually said the right thing here. He said he'll veto it. He should veto it because, again, Congress does not have the legislative power to do this. Now, next week, I was going to do it this week, but next week I'm going to get into a really stupid position from a from a federal judge that says the 13th Amendment somehow provides this right. And I'll talk about that next week. It's just ridiculous. I mean, it shows you how stupid these people really are. But 
Uh, Biden's saying the right thing here because there isn't any power for the Congress to pass a, this type of ban, just like there isn't any power for Congress to legislate and say they have the power to say this has to be legal everywhere. There's no constitutional power for Congress to do this. So Joe Biden should veto that. He should also veto the other, but he wouldn't. Even when Biden gets it right, he doesn't get it right for the correct reasons. He should explain that this kind of power is unconstitutional because Congress does not have the power to do this. Now, of course, by doing that, he would then open up the charge that Congress doesn't have the power to do it the other way. But he, So he doesn't want to do that. And then he continues. This is the most important part of the speech to me because this is where he gets into foreign policy. The president has a constitutional obligation to be head of state and to be the singular uh, person that handles foreign policy, at least in diplomacy. Now, Congress, the Senate in particular, has a concurrent responsibility to appropriate money, to advise and consent to treaties. We don't think of that anymore. Now, this is where Biden has, the presidency has gone beyond the restraints that were imposed on it by the Constitution itself and the ratification debates, and the president acts unilaterally in this particular case. Shouldn't do that. But again, this is where the president has the most constitutional power. So I'm always interested as to what they say about foreign policy. All the domestic policy stuff is just absolutely ridiculous. Um, later on in the speech, he talks about an assault weapons ban. Again, uh, the president has no power to do it. He's, he's imploring Congress to pass that. It's not going to happen. This is all just, uh, do this. Of course, we're not going to get an assault weapons ban. The president can't do it. And if he tries to do it, it's going to be knocked down very quickly. The Congress, according to Supreme Court decisions, can't even do it now. Uh, if you, I mean, the Supreme Court would knock it down. It's, it's a waste of time. But of course, again, think about it. Republicans for years agitated, agitated, agitated in the Roe v. Wade situation. Eventually, they got their way. And the Democrats do this constantly. So he says, our strength is not just the example of our power, but the power of our example. Let's remember the world is watching. Now think about that line. Joe Biden didn't write that. Somebody who specializes in hyperbole and slogans and platitudes and chants. In other words, some Democratic operative wrote this. Now, it might come out eventually who wrote the speech. Joe Biden didn't write it. But look at, listen to this line. This is kind of garbage that you would hear uh, from the left on a regular basis. Try to, yeah, yeah, try to get people fired up. Our strength is not just the example of our power, but the power of our example. <laughs> it's like an inspirational poster on the wall. And I said the inspirational poster people write this. Because that's what that is. I mean, it's just completely, completely stupid. So he says, I spoke from this chamber one year ago, just days after Vladimir Putin unleashed his brutal war against Ukraine. A murderous assault, evoking images of the death and destruction Europe suffered in World War II. Putin's invasion has been a test for the ages, a test for America, a test for the world. Now, this is the part I find most fascinating. Because you have all these Lincolnians in this Congress, all these people that insist that war was just, that war was protecting the proposition that all men are created equal, that government of the people, by the people, and for the people should not perish from this earth. But listen to what he says here. Would we stand for the most basic of principles? 
Would we stand for sovereignty? I don't know, Joe. The United States really hasn't done a good job of that. If you look at their history, 150, a little over 160 years ago, they didn't do that. They didn't stand for sovereignty because you had people, the sovereign people of the sovereign states, saying they wanted their independence, and we didn't stand for that. Would we stand for the right of people to live free from tyranny? Again, we don't really stand for that because we've just seen it. Now you don't have to go 160 years ago for that. Just look at COVID. People living free from tyranny and all the lockdowns and the shutdowns and everything else. Now, the central government didn't do any of that. But even now, you have Republicans proposing to take away the, uh, the vaccine ban. And the Democrats are against it. Do we stand really for tyranny? Or how about censorship? How about all of that? That's tyranny. Uh, right of people to live free from tyranny? I mean, if we do, then the Democrats would lose half their legislative agenda if we actually stood for that. Would we stand for the defense of democracy? Of course not, because we don't really believe that either. Democracy? What does that even mean? If it's government of the people, by the people, and for the people, we don't mean that. They don't mean that at all. They mean special interests and big money. and even the, I mean, the Democrats are all tied into this too. So, look, all of this stuff that he does in this speech is just awful. I mean, but then he gets into you know, what, what he's doing with foreign policy. And essentially, he's making the case we need to go to World War III. I mean, he's making the argument for that in this speech. For such a defense matters to us because it keeps the peace and prevents open season for would-be aggressors to threaten our security and prosperity. One year later, we know the answer. Now, I've, I've racked my brain to figure out how the situation in the Ukraine is protecting the United States and the United States sending in tanks and weapons and billions of dollars, how that's actually protecting the United States. They just throw this around and then expect people to nod their head and say, oh yeah, yeah, it's protecting the United States. And you've got the Republicans doing it too. And then of course, yes, we would. And yes, we did. I mean, it's just the stupidity of the speech. Yes, we would. And yes, we did. Together, we did what America always does at our best. We led. Uh, again, platitudes, hyperbole, slogans, chants. That's all this speech is. It's devoid of anything real because they know who they're speaking to. And apparently, uh, the poll numbers say that 72% of Americans approved of the speech, including 43% of Republicans. So <laughs> over half of Republicans didn't like it, but 43% did. Uh Again, lowest company. When you when you have a speech full of chants and platitudes and slogans, oh yeah, yeah, people are going to. But it's just kind of you know immediate reaction. Oh, that sounds all right. When you really start breaking everything down, and of course all the lies and the stats. That are, anytime you have stats in a speech, just don't believe any of it because there's something going on there. They're cooking it, and we know that even even uh, you know left wing outlets have fact checked this thing and given Biden Pinocchios and I mean it's it's full of lies. We united NATO and built a global coalition. We stood against Putin's aggression. We stood with the Ukrainian people. Tonight, we are once again joined by Ukraine's ambassador to the United States. She represents not just her nation, but the courage of her people as the 51st state of the United States. Oh, he didn't say that. But I mean, essentially, that's what we've done. We've annexed Ukraine as the 51st state of the United States. You've got Zelensky coming again with his handout. We need more money. We need airplanes now. We need this. We need that. 
and it's embarrassing that the United States is just bending over for this, rolling over and getting... None of this should be happening. Ukraine should defend itself. And uh, that's that. And if Ukraine can't do it, then Ukraine can't do it. It's not our fight. It's not our war. Uh, and to say that this is you know World War II all over again, situations are different every single time. There is no repetition in history. We have similar people doing similar things in similar situations, but no repetition. And every situation is different. Similar, which means it's still different. Ambassador America is united in our support for your country. We will stand with you as long as it takes. Again, what is what is he doing there? He's making a foreign policy statement to the Congress when Congress has a concurrent responsibility in that statement. Now, the Republicans aren't going to back down from that. They're going to support that 100%, most of the Republicans. But this, is, this shows you how the presidency has gone way off the rails from where it was when Washington and Jefferson insisted that the United States would not get involved in any entangling alliances. We've done a complete 180. Now we're involved in an entangling alliance that could get the United States in World War III. It's dangerous. For the president to stand there and make that kind of statement, it's dangerous. Without any congressional oversight, he's just telling Congress. He's dictating to Congress, this is what we're going to do. Our nation is working for more freedom, more dignity, and more peace, not just in Europe, but everywhere. Really? I don't know. I wouldn't say that. More freedom? No. More peace? Absolutely not. More peace? This is like, you know, we're going to war for peace. This is Orwellian. It really is. It's the, you know, the, the book I showed on social media about uh, Lincoln. You know, it's a war for peace. Uh, it, it's Lincoln's fight for peace. It's, this is Orwellian. We live in, Orwell, in an Orwellian world that's completely idiotic. And the speech that Biden gives here is a beautiful example of that. Now, again, this is the one part I wanted to focus on. I don't want to spend more than 30 minutes on this speech because you can go out and read it yourself. It's really bad. Uh, but it shows you where we are in the United States now with... Uh, the prime minister president with executive power, with congressional power, and all the things that have just simply gone away, with the level of intellect and public discourse. It shows all of those things. This is, this is to me, is the best example of how stupid the United States government has become. Uh, better than anything that has ever been done before. Better than Biden's last speech, better than Trump's time, you know, Obama, any of it. This is the high point so far of American stupidity and American bad government. I'll see you tomorrow on The Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.